You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 635 for February 15th, 2024. On this episode, saxophonist Allison Au. Members of the Jazz Session also get This I Dig of You, the Patreon bonus show on which I ask the guest from the main show to talk about something non-musical they're enjoying. Allison talks about a thing that is close to my heart crosswords. You can hear the bonus episode by becoming a member for five bucks a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll also get early access to every episode of the Jazz Session and some behind the scenes info and other bonus material from time to time. Plus, for every episode, I choose one Patreon supporter to name as the sponsor of that episode. This one was brought to you by Peter DeBacker. Thanks, Peter. Alison Al's new album is called Migrations. Here's the opening track. Digging a bush up, pitching into damp earth, getting out clutch arms and fingertip veins as easily broken as silk. I look into the mica eye of a robin. This is what we say we all want. The choice to go, to stay. But how does a robin decide? How does anyone? Allison Ow, welcome back to The Jazz Session. Thanks so much for having me today, Jason. It is my pleasure. We're here to talk about the new record, Migrations, which I just absolutely love. I think it's a brilliant record. And I'll get into the reasons for that. But before we do that, can you maybe set the scene for us? I know it's hard to summarize an album, but can you give us some kind of summary of what this record is about before we get into how it expresses the things that it's about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the general overarching theme of the album is a tribute of sorts to my grandparents, who are both migrants from very different places, who my father and my mother ended up in Canada. So it's kind of about my grandparents' stories about how my parents ended up here and really about my existence being in Canada, too. So it's an homage to my grandparents, my family history. And in terms of the music, it's a bit of a departure for me musically. Um, this is the largest ensemble I've composed for. And it's the first project where I've included a string quartet, vibraphone, and vocals alongside my quartet. Can you talk a little bit more about your grandparents' story or whatever you're comfortable sharing with us? Yeah. Um, well, on my father's side, my father was born and raised in Malaysia, and his parents migrated to Malaysia in the early 1900s from southern China. They're from very small rural village in southern China, and they went to Malaysia in search of economic opportunity. 
And then my father was born and raised there, and he ended up in Canada via England looking for work in Canada and Toronto, to be more specific, where I was born. And on my mother's side, both of my grandparents are from Poland and left, of course, like so many thousands, millions during the Holocaust, wound up in Israel for a small period of time in search of family, and then ended up in Canada where they migrated ultimately to Montreal, where my mother was born. So your family story, I mean, it it really weaves together so many massive things from world history over the last century, not to yeah. mention the kind of very specific individual stories. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm feel very privileged to come from very rich cultural background and the respective histories of both sides of my family. I think I've had a lot to learn, to be honest, from my ancestors. I've heard many children of immigrant parents talk about how large the fact of their parents' immigration has loomed in their own lives, whether it's through expectations or just through the the presence of that family lore in a way that that those kinds of family stories might not be present in other families. I'm curious if that is borne out in your own life, if that's true for you, that it was a, a major part of your growing up or or not. Of course. Yeah. I think I think being biracial, I mean, albeit I was born and raised in a very privileged time. And I I would say that I I acknowledge a lot of privilege in my life. But when my parents were dating, I mean, I know they got a lot of looks. Even in Toronto at that time in the 70s. Now, of course, it's very widely accepted. Of course, there's lots of mixed ethnic, religious, racial, you know, couples coming from many different backgrounds. It's so socially accepted, certainly in Canada and, of course, in the U.S. in our contemporary times. But growing up biracial, I will say just from coming from two very distinct cultures made me question a lot of things. Uh, as happy as my childhood was, there were a lot of questions about my identity that I wanted to learn more about and things that I've had to reconcile culturally and personally with my family's history and, and kind of grabbing those elements to forming my personal identity and who I am as an adult. Yeah, it feels like, I mean, for all of us, we we have to decide how much of our parents to take with us as we as we become people and it feels like in your case that might have been a particularly i mean i think it's complex for everyone but it feels like it might have been complex in ways for example that it was not for me sure i mean yeah but you're absolutely right i mean it's one thing of course our parents personality traits and characteristics and idiosyncrasies like that i mean i think that's one aspect for sure that we all have to negotiate and navigate that path as we as we grow up but certainly the added element or layers if you will of racialized or ethnic or religious otherness that i think certain individual, individuals rather find themselves in certain communities and certainly in locations like North America where the population is mostly comprised of migrants, people coming from different countries to forge lives in, in new communities. I think these conversation, I mean, is unique to my family, but also the most common story because it's the story of so many people in this continent.
So let's turn our attention uh, to migrations now that I think we've kind of set a little bit of the background stage. One thing I really appreciate about it uh, on a very long list of things is that you use poetry as a way to tell this story, but it's other people's poetry. And so I wanted to ask about that, about telling a story so personally through other people's words and how you, did you decide early on that you were going to incorporate poetry? How did you decide whose poems to use? Etc. Yeah. So this album was actually the result of a commission I was invited to do back in 2019, which resulted in the premiere of the first iteration of the suite. It's really kind of a suite of music, or that's how I conceptualized it. But it was a commission, and it was initially meant to be performed for a festival that's held annually in Toronto called the 21C Music Festival, which is in fact where we premiered it ultimately. And the whole basis of the festival is for new collaborations. And I was commissioned by Kerner Hall, which is a music hall in Toronto, and the artistic director there, Mervon Mehta, who's a wonderful programmer and art supporter. He kind of propositioned me to find a project. Of course, I was open. I was given a lot of like carte blanche, like free range to do whatever I wanted. He was open to me having the quartet, which I normally play with as my main ensemble. But he was encouraging me to think of new collaborations or to write music incorporating different instrumentation. So in my brainstorming, my process of thinking about what, you know, ideas I would go for, I thought to challenge myself with the element of lyrics because it's something that is totally different, absent from my previous records and my previous work in general. And then the presence of the string quartet, which I thought would be, again, just like a different departure for me or something different in my writing. So with regards to the lyrics... I felt it was already an ambitious enough of a task with this instrumentation that I felt not prepared enough to just like launch into writing my own lyrics, which was the motivation behind thinking about poems to incorporate instead. And then the challenge in that would just be how to adapt it for the music I'm hearing in my head. But I felt it was much too ambitious to jump into the act of writing lyrics. So I paid a visit to our central library here in Toronto, which is the reference library. And they have, of course, like many libraries in other cities, just a huge resource of books and, of course, poetry. And I just sifted through as much as I could find on the topic of migrations, immigration, the notion of leaving home, legacy, like all these themes that I really was drawing from for the inspiration behind this project. And that's kind of how I decided to pick poems that I did, I just picked the ones that resonated with me the most while thinking of my grandparents, really, the back of my mind and how they might have felt in making the decisions that they did to leave their countries when they did. And yeah, that's kind of how I picked the poems that I ended up using. the ways in which it determines my life, permeates everything it's in the air, lives next door to me in stairs of neighbors, meets me each day in the office, its music comes out the radio, drives beside me in my car, strolls along with me down supermarket aisles. It's on television and in the streets even when my walk is casual, undefined. It's overhead, flashing lights. I find it in my mouth. When I would speak of other things, 
one thing I like about the range of poets that you've picked is that, I mean, you've picked like First Nations poets, you've picked African-American poets, you've picked like such a wide range of people whose, whose experience of both moving, being moved and being moved onto is, is really rich. I mean, this, this talks about that concept of migration throughout the album from a wide variety of perspectives, which I find fascinating. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, a lot of the poets that I ended up selecting, honestly, just resonated with me on first read. Like that was really the basis of me selecting who I ended up choosing to feature in, in sense of their words for this record. But I mean, the with hindsight, after selecting who I wanted to feature, it makes a lot of sense to me that I would select poems from these, you know, marginalized communities, especially in North America and being Canadian, being in an urban center myself, being in Toronto. You know, the ongoing conversation here in Canada, for sure, is truth and reconciliation of how Canadian settlers have treated and abused and taken advantage of our Native people. I know that conversation is common in a lot of the in North America and South America, certainly in so many other countries. Certainly racialized groups in both America and Canada, too. So as we can see, like, I guess it goes back to what I've been saying earlier, like, just how this story is so common to so many groups of people and this feeling other, regardless of where that intersection is. I think the sentiment and a lot of the emotional impact is very similar. I think this album, Migrations, is a a real masterpiece of arranging. I just, I think it's brilliant. Oh, you're very welcome. And you've already mentioned this a couple of times, but it features a string quartet. And as you said, this is the first time that you've written for an ensemble this large. And you certainly, you certainly set the degree of difficulty high for, uh, for your first time. So, but obviously I carried it off masterfully, I think. So will you talk about the, this, the process, maybe even where you started and then how you kind of get to what we hear on the album. What did you start with compositionally and and then how did you begin to expand that vision? Yeah. So, I mean, so like I was saying, you know, this is really is a departure for me in the sense that like I'm incorporating for the first time in my own original composition, the element of the string quartet, vocals and vibraphone, which I'd never really worked with before in this kind of setting. But I will say and acknowledge, I do have some experience writing for strings in the past. I was very fortunate to participate back in 2011 in an arranger's workshop with the Metropole Orchestra, which is based out of Holland. And I had the chance to work with Vince Mendoza for a week where all the students who were in attendance had a chance to have our arrangements played. And then we had an arranging challenge that week and we had a chance to workshop some of our work with him, kind of more of a classroom setting. So I felt walking into this project that the element of strings wasn't 100% foreign to me. It was something that I had some experience in limited capacity, albeit, but some experience doing. So I was excited to dive deeper into a more intimate string setting, which I really feel the string quartet embodies. We have the four-part voices, much like a choir, but it's single voice on each chair. So of course, the potential can be very lush, but also sparse, depending on how I could harness that energy, I guess. So my whole approach for this record is actually was not much different from the way I've approached my previous writing in the past is simply writing a lead sheet, which for jazz composers is really the skeletal information of a piece, melody with harmony. And as much 
in the most limited way, but as much extra detail. So if there was a counter melody I wanted to include, just like a second voice perhaps, or maybe a specific bass line, I would add that. But I tried to keep it in its most minimalistic form without sacrificing the shape and the form of the piece. So I basically sketched out all the pieces roughly with the form I wanted, with the basic skeletal information. And then I just started inputting it into my notation software and started expanding as I went. But really trying to use the colors and thinking about them conceptually and thinking about what and how much color I wanted to implement on each tune. Some of the tunes, listeners may notice when they have a chance to hear it, don't use the full instrumentation of the ensemble. So I tried to play around with that element too, like knowing that I had this very rich canvas, but also deciding which tunes maybe I didn't need to use everybody's voice at the same time. And so I tried to play with that contrast and texture. So there are a select few tunes that don't have the string quartet, few songs that don't feature the guest vocalist, who is Lila Bialy, who's wonderful, by the way. But I try to really create and play with some of the colors throughout the album. I'll just mention self-servingly that Lila has been on the show multiple times. And actually, uh, Alin Hamzi, who plays violin, was just on the show recently. So um, yeah, there's some, there's some alums. And of course, you've been on in the past, so folks can look up Allison's previous interview as well. Let me take a quick break from the interview to remind you about becoming a member. You can support what I do and help me continue to make high-quality, in-depth interviews with the people who make the music you love by becoming a member. It's just five bucks a month. When you join, you are supporting a show that you clearly enjoy or you wouldn't be listening. You'll also get bonus episodes with every regular episode. You'll get extra bonus episodes too, behind-the-scenes material, and a whole lot more. So please help me keep doing what I do and become a member today at the Jazz Session join. While I've got you, I'll let you know that I write press releases and artist bios and liner notes for musicians. I've done that for many of the people you've heard on this show. You can see samples of my work at cranewrites.com and you can get in touch there too. Now, back to the interview. always imagine being in the situation where uh, this will never happen for me, but I imagine being in the situation where for the first time I hear the full ensemble with the strings and everything playing some piece and how kind of magical that must feel. And you have, in fact, been in the situation. So I'm curious what it felt like. Oh, it's glorious. It's it's the it's like candy for your ears. That's really how I felt, especially during the string session when we retract all the strings in the studio. I mean, it's such a delight. It's it's like this new layer of richness. And of course, in my 
typical day-to-day, you know, working schedule, I don't typically work with strings players. I'm mostly active in the jazz community here in Toronto with standard jazz instrumentation for 95% of the projects that I'm involved in. So to hear strings is is amazing. It's like, it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I wonder about the balance between composition and improvisation on this album. There's obviously a lot of composition and arranging, but there's to at least to my ear, there's plenty of space where people are improvising. Can you talk about how you decided to strike that balance or how you arrived at it? Yeah, I mean, certainly compared to my previous work, I think with this project, I was definitely going for a more through composed approach in general. I'm trying to think of some influences that come to mind. I mean, certainly classical string quartets was something at the forefront of my mind. And then just, you know, Composers that have always inspired me, musicians like Wayne Shorter and Herbie Hancock, some Brazilian composers like Antonio Carlos Jobim, who have had arrangements of their music in very lush contexts. Of course, that music in and of itself is very lush harmonically, so there's lots to play with. You know, certainly great recordings that include Frank Sinatra, you know, like the traditional, you know, iconic albums that I think all of us can render in our minds classic jazz recordings that have had a string section, very cinematic, you know, kind of thing. I certainly had that in my mind. I don't think my album sounds like that, but I mean, I was certainly pulling from all these previous albums that I've heard in the past. So, but yes, that aside, I was thinking it in a more through composed context. I think the element of poetry certainly flicked a switch or turned a switch, if you will, in my mind in that I knew it was something that would change the way I would write for this particular record, just simply from the fact of the presence of lyrics. Saxophone is no longer front and center. And certainly in my previous work as a saxophonist who typically has the melodic line or the feature, with the element of words, I wanted to ensure that you know, the lyrics, of course, weren't buried, still had the foreground, I guess. So my role as a saxophone player and, of course, band leader was not to be front and center anymore. So I think that inherently changed my whole approach of how much improv I wanted to feature when the voice is now the forefront. So, yeah, I, I did certainly take a more through composed approach. Yeah. Since you chose poems as the lyrical basis, you know, some people like Langston Hughes's poetry is generally tends to be fairly easy to set to music mm-hmm. because he writes in a, a pretty standard metrical way. Uh, yes. But that's not true for all of the text that you chose. So I'm curious about the challenge of adapting some of that text into lyrics. 
Yes, it was definitely challenging. And there are a select few of the poems I used that were adapted. So with permission from the writers, I kind of slightly tweaked some of the pacing of the lines. One of the poems, I think I changed one order. So there were a few things that in terms of the poems that did not have a standard rhyming scheme or a form that felt like it would be symmetrical, I suppose. I don't know what the right word in the poetic language or that world would be, but playing around with how the stanzas were working kind of and how it would work into more conventional musical form or in like in terms of like verse verse chorus a few of the pieces don't really follow that kind of pattern so i let the words guide how the music would go and they don't really have i don't like the use of the word conventional but for lack of a better word they don't really follow a conventional musical form so in some cases with poems I used the music to inform how the poem would kind of fit. And in other scenarios, I let the words inform how the music would end up sounding form-wise or, yeah, just in terms of the sections. We've talked a lot about the fabulous music on this record, and I want to make sure we give credit to the musicians who make it. So can you just take us through the ensemble? Yeah. So maybe I'll go through the my longstanding quartet, who's also featured on this record, and my previous three albums. And that is Todd Petney on piano. And for this record, he played Prophet 6 as well. And then bassist John Maharaj, who plays acoustic and electric bass. And then drummer Fabio Regnelli, who plays drums and some percussion on one of the tracks. And then, of course, I've mentioned guest vocalist Lila Bialy, who sings vocals and then recites some spoken word poetry. Vibraphonist Michael Davidson. And then on violins, Lynn Homsey, Jeremy Potts, on viola, Catherine Gray, and on cello, Amal Arulanandam. And yeah, it's been really great to work with my quartet in this setting again, because we've been playing for over 10 years as a, as a quartet. And it's been something that's really important to me to keep the rhythm section. Like I just have loved and relished in having the opportunity to work with the same core group of musicians and to kind of throw them into a slightly expanded instrumentation has been really fun because I still hear their voices so prominently in the quartet music. But to hear them kind of run free in this larger, really a 10-piece ensemble has been really great for me as a composer, too. As we get to the close here, I'd kind of like to come back full circle to your family and ask, given the the subject matter of this record, have you has your family had any particular reaction to it that you'd care to share? 
Yeah, well, my parents, like, I was so lucky. They were able to attend the premiere back in 2020, just before COVID hit. Premiere concert was, yeah, in January 2020. And they were there. And that really was the most, one of the most meaningful musical experiences, just, I mean, or overall, you know, top 10 experiences in my lifetime, I think I would probably have to acknowledge because it's the first piece of music that has been so deeply personal to me and to be able to share with them in the audience, knowing that I have drawn from, you know, our family history and to share that with them in a live context was so important. And I think that, you know, they're thrilled. I've talked to them about it. My parents, they are avid arts appreciators. I think they would both acknowledge that they don't or they feel like they don't understand jazz 100%. But they are, they've always been, you know, so encouraging of my pursuit in this life, in this career path. I think they're really happy and I think they feel, well, I would like to think they feel happy that I want to share some of these stories, these family stories through music. My guest is Allison Al. The new album is called Migrations. I think it's brilliant, and you've been hearing it all through this interview, so by now I imagine you think the same. Allison's also been on the show before, and you can go in the archives to hear that interview. Allison, it's been such a pleasure to have you, and uh, let's do it again before seven more years pass. Oh, yes. Thank you so much again for having me. Thanks to my guest, Allison Ao. Thanks also to the members who support this show and to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Sarah Walter for the logo. You can message me for more info about Sarah. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow The Jazz Session on Instagram and TikTok at The Jazz Session. Take a second right now to rate and review The Jazz Session wherever you listen. It really does help me reach new listeners. I have a second podcast called A Brief Chat. It's also an interview show most of the time, although these days I am mostly using it to send out Diane DePrima's revolutionary letters. If you'd like to keep up to date on both of my podcasts, on my poetry, and more, you can subscribe to my newsletter. It comes out once a month. It's free, and you can find it at thejazzsession.com. Just click on the newsletter link. If you value what you just heard, please become a member for $5 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on The Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.